Welcome to this week's podcast by Celebration Church Rarotonga. We believe this message will empower and equip you to live a life of breakthrough. Thanks for joining us. David, the psalmist, is an interesting guy. I, I love David, David, and uh, look, we look forward to meeting the psalmist. And uh, but he came from a pretty broken household. When you actually go through the details and look at his lineage and look at his family, and yet he prophesies. He prophesies as a prophet. Some people say he was apostolic, or maybe, or type for an apostle. But he's definitely had a major prophetic. Uh, uh, mantle or dimension around his life, powerful gifting in the realm of the prophetic. So he, in Psalms here, Psalms uh, 142 verses 3, he's talking about and he's prophesying about the future Messiah, Jesus coming. This is what he says. He says, he heals, or shall I put it this way, Jesus heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. The word brokenhearted means to be shattered and to be splintered. Have you ever felt at times that your life has been broken? You've ever felt it's been like thrown up against the wall through circumstances? Maybe a neglect, maybe a betrayal, maybe some hardship, maybe you just feel completely alone in this life, but it is, he's talking about Jesus coming to heal, which means to restore restore and to heal the brokenhearted, which is awesome. Then Jesus, of course, is now alive. And Luke 4, verses 18, he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me. Okay, so he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me, which means to be apostolically sent, to be thrust out and to be sent in Jesus' name to the brokenhearted, to heal the brokenhearted. I love it where David also says, hey, he brought my soul. He brought my soul out of prison where I might praise his name. Ever felt your life is in a prison? I mean, you know the same old clip. It's kind of like you could be in a natural prison, incarceration, but be free as anything on the inside. You could be outside and run a great business and be successful in life, but be imprisoned on the inside with bitterness and our rejection and so forth. But he brought my soul. David's saying his soul has come out of a prison. He's no longer captured by offense. He's no longer captured by issues. And the Bible says this, that we should guard because his son Solomon comes on the scene and he says we should actually put a garrison or a stronghold or a protection around our own heart because out of it flow the issues of life. What are the issues of life? Well, pornography is an issue. Divorce is an issue. Separation is an issue. Suicide. These are social issues. But we guard our hearts and protect our hearts. And what the enemy wants to do is get beyond the shield of faith and get in and to bring an injury into our life. He wants to bring a wound. And then what he wants to do is he wants to camp around the wound and begin to infest around the wound and begin to feed it with all kinds of thinking and all kinds of thoughts that are foreign to God. And so finally, our thoughts are not our thoughts. Our thoughts are coming from a foreign uh, influence. They're actually coming from the demonic realm that love to feed us with all kinds of negative thinking. But what God wants to do is fill us with so much wholeness through the power of the Holy Spirit's healing into our life that out of the wholeness, what happens is that we can love the world in wholeness. We see life differently. We see people differently. We see things from a different perspective. And so let's go down this line just a little bit with us here today. Uh, rejection, it's emotional state where we, where, where, where we shouldn't dwell, where we shouldn't reside. It's the feelings that unloved. 
It's the feelings of lack of warmth on the inside, not accepted. It's the feelings of I don't belong, I'm on the outside. It's been feeling of being marginalized or despised. These are very real feelings that even as whole, uh, even as Christians, we can get attacked by. But what happens is we've learned in life to cope. We've learned to be trailblazers and survive in life. But you know, it's like this, we walk with limps. And we, we get into performance. When you get into rejection, there's a couple of things off the bat. We either become passive. And passivity means that we walk back in life. We shrink back. We just become nonchalant and kind of like waltz through life and passive, can't make decisions and not wanting to really engage and get involved. You're loved by everybody, but nobody respects that. Passivity. Or we get into performance where we have to prove ourselves. We're striving to be something or be part of something. We strive for breakthrough in life so that, hey, pick me, look at me. That's another aspect of rejection. But somewhere it's in the middle there where God asks us and requests us to come in to an invitation with His Holy Spirit and He brings wholeness. Wholeness is beautiful because when people hate you, you don't have a reaction. At work, you don't get the promotion. You're able to rejoice. You see what I'm saying now? Somebody else's success is not your failure. Sometimes somebody's promoted and you think, oh, I'm happy for you. And you go home and you're kind of crying somewhat and feeling low. What, what was happening to me? And no, it's not your failure. Somebody's breakthrough is not your failure. The Bible says when somebody weeps, we will weep with them. But when somebody rejoices, we will rejoice with them. Your success is our success. We share it as a common community. I'm talking about the kingdom of God community. Okay, but here we look, look. Let's look at this. Timothy kind of was brought up in a good background. You look at his, um, you look at here in 2 Timothy 1 5, it says, Hey, when I call to remembrance, the Paul speaking, the genuine faith that was in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother, Lois, and then in your mother, Eunice. The way I laugh at this is because I have two aunties that are no longer with us, and Janet was the grandma. And uh, we, one was Eunice and Lois, but I wonder if she read this and thought, all right, okay, you're going to be Lois, and the next one, you'll be Eunice. And, uh, but, and I'm persuaded is also in you. So, so we're talking about genuine faith that's been imparted and passed down through Lois and Eunice. How about that? And now I see in you. You would think, wow, he's inherited great faith. But then the Bible says this, God has not given you a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. It's dressed to Timothy. So even in that situation of having a great family spiritual breakthrough line, if you like, and, and a, a godly influence, inheritance, we still see lack of wholeness in Timothy. 1 Corinthians 16.10, And if Timothy comes, see that he may be with you without fear, for he does the work of the Lord also. I want to submit to you, we're born into a broken world. All of us have insecurities, and I've said this often, every single one of us has insecurities. We have to have insecurities. We're not born complete. We're on a restoration process. We're like in the factory process where God is bringing us through things and making us whole. We don't understand everything. That's all good. We just trust Him and God brings us through. But we're insecure in terms of if we're completely secure, we would have to say that God is flowing through every aspect of our personality. 
But what we've done, we've learned to mask it, and I want to talk about that. I want to talk about some of the key habit patterns or manifestations of rejection that we hide behind. But the root of it is rejection. What God wants to do is get the axe at the root, hack that thing out for good. We can't stay there. The enemy wants us to camp in self-pity or rejection or, or performance. We can't stay there. It's damaging for our own lives. It's damaging for our family, and it's damaging for our ministry. We've got to go beyond. We've got to get healing. We've got to cry out for the Lord. And this is what he's doing in the body of Christ today. He's bringing miracle healings. Incredible healings out of depraved backgrounds, that out of incredibly broken marriages and broken relationships and so forth. God is bringing incredible healing to people. It's amazing. Why is he doing that? Well, he's returning saint without spot and blemish, church. But what else is he doing there? Because he wants to make us fit for the master's use because there's a whole world out there that's even worse off. The world is very broken, very dark, very broken, terrible crises and tragedies and all sorts of calamities and catastrophes that are happening seems to be now on a grand scale. And somewhere in the midst of this, Jesus hangs out with the suffering. But what he wants to do is use my feet and my hands to go. And he wants to use your feet and hands to be part of it and to go as well. Maybe going isn't going overseas, but maybe it's reaching out to a neighbor or a cousin, or an auntie, or an uncle. Maybe it's a sibling as close as a brother or a sister that we don't talk to too much. But God wants us to be so whole that we don't. We want to be in there, we want to get in there, and we don't care if they reject us as a reaction or as a response. Sometimes we don't do things, we're afraid of being rejected. Am I talking to someone this morning? <clears throat> Just messages for somebody. Okay. So here we go. The emotions of rejection, we try and hide rejection somewhat, but this is what it does. It actually brings us into anger. Did you know that? Ever felt, ever, anybody ever had anger issues? Come on. Where are all the swearers in the house? <laughs> Have you ever had anger issues and just you're all good for a bit and all of a sudden, mate, that is it. That's it. I tell this terrible story. I'm highly embarrassed of it, but we did our X29 Bible school, uh, X29, and on the last uh, week, I took off in Natasha. I'd, 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 I'd kind of didn't been that at school, but I looked after that school for a bit. We had about 40, 50 students day and night, 15 weeks, and ministering on the Sundays. Murray was in the States and that, and I was tired. But sometimes you could be tired, but you're actually exhausted. And so here I am. I tell the story. I was driving along to Nelson, really happy. James is in the car seat in the back, had this uh, souped-up Holden that somebody had given us, and uh, we drove up there and that sort of thing, really, really good. And honestly, I'm I, I getting tired and tired of my eyes. I just running. can't wait to just to have some sleep up in Nelson. We're on a break. We're on a holiday. We're on a happy holiday. There's James in the back smiling and singing. And the guy in front of me was with a Jeep, in a Jeep. And I must have crept up too close to him. And as I crept up too close to him, you know what he did? He did the fatal error. He, he reacted and put his brakes on. And as he put his brakes on, you know, in other words, back off, buddy. I reacted in the flesh, and I'd come from being a nice, uh, uh, empowering kind of a, a leader amongst us to kind of like the angel turned to the devil pretty quick. 
You know what I did? I, I freaked out because I didn't want to wreck the guy's car. So my vehicle goes out of gear. It's a manual and goes into neutral. And I'm putting my foot on the accelerator. So it looks like I'm going, because that's how it sounds. And so what he does, he gives me the one finger. Sorry, I know it's church, but he gave me this. And I thought, right, okay. I lost it at that point, And then... This is what I did. I overtook the vehicle and tried to ram the car off the side of the road. True story. I know you don't think that that's as possible, but this is possible. It's a mild story to tell. And, uh, but then again, after anger, what happens? Grief and depression. You lose it with your husband for 10 minutes. All the stuff comes out. And you're in the kitchen for the next five hours, just like, and you're just in this grief pattern. And that's what anger does. Understand there's a thumos, and there's what the, the other one is called O-R-G-I, orgi, or orgi, I think it is. And, and basically, it's the internal anger that goes this way. It's brooding. You don't say anything to anybody. You just simmer. It just simmer. And that causes depression. Then the other one, which is thumos, is explosive anger. That's also equally as damaging, but it impacts the family. That's when we explode with language and you're always doing this and the kids begin to hear it. It's just like, wow, there's two kinds of anger. One's internal. We don't say anything. We just brood. The difficulty with that is it causes depression, but what it does do every now and then, it explodes. And now you've got in 1943, you did this. And in 1945, you did this. And I remember you did that. And he's thinking, my goodness, I, I thought we resolved this. It's just like this toilet paper, respectfully, of information comes out about what happened and what didn't happen. Remember, you ladies, what, how come you got this major memory? We can't remember anything. I can't remember saying that. It's probably because we didn't, you know. <laughs> she think, she probably thinks we did. Got you there, brother. I see that hand. But there's the anger. What it does, it causes depression and causes explosive anger to damage the people but it comes out of a root of rejection i just felt dishonored i felt in fact the last two weeks you've been dishonoring you haven't given me any time you haven't done this haven't done that rather than hey let's have a camp meeting a tabernacle let's get together you me nobody else and not the kids and not auntie either and we're going to get with god and we're going to pray through it look this is how the way i felt in other words you know, we're not coming with the acts of accusation this is what you've done to me because it doesn't, it's like you're going to get a reaction from the guys. I did not do that. And then we're back to square one. It's, in other words, here's the petrol. We've just poured gasoline on the petrol. So it gets worse. So there's a resolving conflict. The word of God is very good on how to resolve conflict. You go in the spirit of peace. <laughs> Calm down. You're not saying that to your wife. You're saying that to yourself. And <laughs> can I just be honest? Mate, guys, if you want to fire up your wives, just when she's upset and giving, she calm down. <laughs> and you've got to have that, you've got to have that straight face. <laughs> I, read my lips. How else do you want me to say it? Calm down. Just bring it down. The neighbors are gonna hear us. Calm down. When you're ready to talk, I'll talk. No, 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 no. Guys, men, look, we would be good saints on this island if we actually took initiative and resolve first up and said, look, I know I was an absolute heel. I know I didn't speak to you when I should have. I'm so sorry. 
Sound good? And then just take her out or do something and get the oil on her back or heal her back or whatever, you know, just to help her out somewhat. But no, so getting on to the subject here, really at the end of the day, rejection has manifestations. Look at the symptoms, my friends. <laughs> Look at the symptoms, and often it's a trigger on what's going on in a broken world inside of us. Anger, explosive anger. Anger causes a rejection manifest in anger. Now, remember this? The Bible says that God rejected Samuel. Uh, so, no, no. Saul, thank you. He rejected him. And there's reasons for it. The sacrificial issue, and he says, for, for rebellion is this the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is iniquity and idolatry. For thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, thou hast rejected you of being king. So in other words, out, out, you go. The Spirit of the Lord came off him and rested on son of Jesse David. Okay, but why Samuel is dealing with him, the Bible says that God rejected Saul. Then what happens? The anointing goes on another. What happens? David. Then Saul tries to kill him with the spear. I want to submit to you this. Rejection is a fueling platform for anger, for jealousy, for rivalry, for reaction. Okay? Now, we're not going to talk about how to deal with this. We're going to go on to the end, and we'll package it all in one, and we'll talk about how to deal with it. But I want to say, when we're flying off the handle like that, there has to be a route. When we're swearing and getting upset and just reacting, reacting, or alternatively, Somebody else gets upset about something. They tell your story, and you feel like doing something. It's got nothing to do with you. But you feel like marching down that office, and it's got nothing. You don't work there. You're not part of the problem. You're not part of the solution. But you know what it's doing? It's fueling the memory banks of your issues. Seriously. I'm sure half the reason why we riot around the world today, I've got issues. I've got a pound of issues. I've got no place. I can't do it at home. I'm going to do it on the streets. And here's my placard government. And I reckon sometimes it's triggered back to our own state. I just thought I'd throw that out there. Not always. The second area is insecurity. Unresolved rejection causes the feelings of insecurity. Hmm. Uh, our insecurity causes us to want to be recognized, to be needed, to be something, to be someone, to be attached to something, to be wanted. And when we're not, we feel rattled. So you'll find insecurity masks itself. I said before, it masks itself in wanting to retreat, cave mentality, go back. But it also masks itself in wanting to prove itself. Both ends. Academically, I must prove myself on the sports field, on the music uh, music front, in the business front, in the home front. I will prove, you know what I mean? But it comes from insecurity. Mm. Well, we live in what is called a performance-orientated society. So in other words, we value ourselves and what we're good at. You have a great day because I did well. Would it be possible to be in a prison somewhere the threat of death or threat of a beating and still praise God anyway in the cells? Well, that's what Paul and Silas did. So you and I, our temperament doesn't go up based on what we're doing. We're just getting really excited now because we've got a promotion. Well, that's awesome, but take it in its stride. See the context. In other words, when you didn't get the promotion or didn't get the bonus, but everybody else did, can you still dance in your room? Well, Paul and Silas did. They were in prison. They were in a worse situation because their life was under threat. 
So in other words, their emotions were not up or not down based upon their outcome. The money's not coming in, so we're depressed. My wife is arguing, so we're depressed. But no, we've got to rejoice in the Lord. You ready for this? Always. And again, I say, emphasis, rejoice. Can you say rejoice this morning? Okay, so what it, you can only do that by decision. You can only do that when God brings wholeness. Now, I think it's like this. Let me explain this. Be practical. Some people say we should have joy in our heart. One of the things you could do to get joy in your heart is actually put a smile on your face. I'm not joking about this. Because if you're like this, where's the joy going to come? So if you're driving down the road, do this as an exercise, because I've done it many a times. I decide to put a smile on my face like this. But I notice my internal temperament begins to follow my lips. It's really weird. It's exactly the same thing is with this, is let's push out and let's rejoice in the Lord regardless of how we feel. If we don't feel whole and we're not whole, it doesn't matter. Because Paul wouldn't be 100% whole either. He hadn't received his resurrection body yet, but he still rejoiced in the Lord. Can you do that? Now, I know this is flowing over your mind right now, but the reality of it's a golden truth thread in the Word of God where we rejoice in every circumstance, and it will break the shackles of insecurity. Let's give the Lord a hand this morning. Insecurity is a manifestation of rejection. Some people don't, I haven't got any rejection. I remember praying for a woman one time, and I said, I think you've got a demon of rejection. What a terrible thing to say to someone. That's how she was there. I said, you've got a demon of rejection. She goes, no, I haven't. Oh, I think you have personally, if you ask me. And, uh, and she said, no, I haven't. I said, do you mind if I pray for you? And she said, yeah, go ahead, man, go ahead. She put her hands out. I thought that was good. I said, spirit of rejection. I said, I command you to come else. Loose your hold in Jesus' name. She manifests all on the ground. <laughs> crying and that sort of thing like you know getting into the fetal and the womb and sort of stuff and then we afterwards she said man i never understood i never ever used to so that person now that's a really quite a good illustration because some of us don't know what we're carrying but equally so did you know you don't some of us don't even know what we're carrying in terms of a potential mantle over your life a dimension that god has for you, you kind of walk oblivious but the angels of the Lord, they recognize the mantle and the calling over your life. And we sometimes don't even recognize it until the prophet comes into town and says, the spirit of the Lord is upon you, Anthea, and I'm going to do this. And I'm going, I've called you to do this. I've called you to do that. And that sort of, then we've kind of think, wow, God is alive. God is alive. But God is, God is with me. He recognizes me in this, this scrap heap of life. He's calling me out. So whilst we, God recognizes and God knows. He knows the mantle. So sometimes we don't know what we're carrying in terms of damage until the Holy Spirit sheds his life upon us. Equally so, sometimes we don't recognize the mantle over our life. You should ask the Lord. Ask him, what have you called me to do? What's the mantle? Do I, do I actually have a business mantle? Do I have a miracle mantle? Do I have a healing mantle? Do I have a communication mantle in high places that God is going to take me into high places and speak the oracles and the wisdom of God into a needed political situation? Maybe that's what it is. Maybe you are a writer and God has got a mantle of writing. If you're a writer, what a great gift, a script writer and so forth. And you can start to write the wisdom of God for our generation. Talk about the pains. Talk about the solutions. But maybe that's the mantle. You should ask the Lord what mantle you've got on your life. Very important because without the vision, we perish. Now, here's the next one. Did you know rejection 
hides behind pride. Can we say pride this morning? This is the sin that nobody likes to talk to or uh, talk about. But pride's an interesting. We wear it. We wear pride. Now, okay, so the, so the British, the way pride is interesting, because we kind of think, oh, he's proud or she's proud. Maybe they're not. Maybe they're not. Because um, humility is 100% truth with right motivations. So if someone asks you and says, are you a good guitarist? And you just happen to be the world's best and knocked out the trophies behind us, the world's best. And they say, are you a good guitarist? You go, oh, shucks. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> that's insecurity, man. Just say, yes, so I can play it. That's, 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 a, that's a noble state, all right? So, so it's 100% humility with right motivations, okay? But pride is a really interesting thing because, uh, I'll throw this out, if we're in a small group, we've got all the answers. We're talking all the time. The man who speaks of himself seeks his own glory. Sometimes it's good to pull back and not say anything. Mm-hmm. That's really cool. Wow, that, well, I'm, I'm in, I'm in. That's really good. But you don't have to be always. For us talkers, we've got to learn some things here. Psalms 5.5. 5. Now, here's an interesting thing. The arrogant cannot stand in his presence. He knows the proud from afar. The proud cannot stand in his presence. He knows the proud from afar. Pride it manifests in ego, boasting, I am, I can do, but as an attitude behind it that's not sourced from the spirit of humility. Now, what happens is this, is the enemy knows that, so he tries to push us in the quadrant of pride always. He will always try and push us into pride because what happens when we're in pride? We are resisted because the Bible says God resists the proud, gives grace, empowerment to the humble. So the enemy knows that, so he tries to push us into self-sufficiency, self-governing pride. I'm the self-made man. I don't need God today. He'll try and push us into that because that's where the blessing is not. But the grace for your life, the empowerment for your life, is always in the realm of humility. I think it's the, you know, it's kind of like a, a proud Christian cannot defeat a proud devil. So that's one, one, probably one of the most key components around our life, that if we humble ourselves, the Bible says, I will exalt you, I will elevate you, I'll favor you, I will lift you up. We must watch that area of pride. But you see, we're rejection. It means you're ready for this. We go into the realms of the cave. Insecurity, that's a form of pride anyway. Or we go out and we're going to prove life. We're going to prove it and we're the best. Our team this, our team that. I talk up my family. We've got the greatest team. We've got the greatest you know, church. We've got the greatest musicians. We've got the greatest family, all this sort of stuff. Just We need to tone that sort of language down. Uh, pride causes entitlements. We live in an entitled generation. My goodness. And it's not only coming from the young, it's coming from the old as well. It's not only millennials and whatever. It's actually, it's right through community where we expect the government to do this. Well, when did we have a, when did we write a note of appreciation? Thank you. Thank you for the new road that we've got down the road. Has anybody even done that? I have not. But there's an appreciation. You know what I mean? It's kind of like it's all taking sometimes. Man, I'm thinking of some illustrations. I'm just going to pull back a little bit. And uh, just for the sake of time, really. But that's, that's an area, I think, that we need to master. The art of humility threatens the kingdom of darkness. 
It really does. It really demolishes their kingdom. We are recognized in the realms of the Spirit by walking in the Spirit of humility. Humility has a way about it. It has a sweetness about it. It has a presence around it. And some of you guys are walking in humility, but I want to encourage us, watch that one, because it, pride actually comes out of rejection. I'm not going to give you all the, uh, the symptoms and examples of pride, but it's there, the competing, the competing. We have to compete. Our stuff has got to be better than theirs. It's just like, but where does the motivation come from? Are you happy being second? No way. I could never be second. But why? Let's analyze it. If we're psychologists right now, how we would analyze it? That because we just feel less in ourselves. That's the issue. It's not because we, we learned that we've got to be number one. No, it's basically we feel stink, embarrassed, humiliated. There's no, there's no accolades in coming number two. I'm not saying we shouldn't push for the great heights and reach for the stars. I believe we should all be doing that. We should push for excellence. But I'm saying there comes a place, maybe God hides you in the shadows because you're trying to test and deal with something inside of here. Maybe things don't work out. And you're thinking, well, God's blessing's not upon me, not according to Kenneth Copeland uh, or something. What's happened, you know? No, 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 God's blessing's on your life. If you're walking in humility and you're hearing God's voice and you're in the word and prayer and you're walking in righteousness, it doesn't matter what kind of environment you're in. It doesn't matter what's happening in your world. God's favor and blessing and endorsement's on you. Get your eyes off those circumstances. Your whole world could be falling around you like Job. He was a righteous man. Praise the Lord. Let's give the Lord a hand on that one. It pushes us into independence, struggle to connect, struggle to be part of, making excuse to pull back all the time. Mm. Just got two more. Just about there. Rejection causes us really easy to get offended. Causes us to get offended so easy. If we don't commit to wholeness, we become offended by circumstance. We become offended by people so easily. We become negative. We can't joke with that kind of person. If you say so, off you go, man. We become like they're walking on tender shells. You ever met somebody like that at a workplace? You can't joke. There are certain people you can joke with. It doesn't matter. Guys, and you just joke with them. It's just like, you know, wow. Shouldn't be carnal, but you can joke with them. Other people, you can't say anything, just in case it's read incorrectly. And it's because we've got this raw points on the inside that come from rejection, and they've learned to lash out. What do you mean? Oh, I was just a joke. Oh, really? That, that you know, that's not very nice. You know? And so anyway, so this is real interesting. Have you noticed, I've got here, that offense carries the appearance of wisdom? Have you ever given that thought? We can justify offense. And the reason why I pick on offense this morning, because I think it's something we should constantly be addressing in the church life, because it's probably the key number one thing that's going to fail most Christians, according to the word of God, Matthew 24. Jesus said offenses will come. I was saying last night to the leaders, there's one uh, recognized ministry in America, a very powerful influential ministry. I'm not a follower of him per se, but he's got a big ministry. And he says, after the last two years in America, he said it's like a fence has come into a nation like, and it's come through the church. And he said, where people just divide hearts off. But I don't want that in our house. The Bible actually gives us a, a, how to deal with all of that. But it's important that we don't walk in a fence. We walk in grace. We walk in forgiveness and we give people the benefit of the doubt and we have open conversations. 
It's not about control. It's about talking things through. Even as pastors, controlling pastors, no, it's about we're all open to correction. We're open to, to hearing things. We're open to different things. And we've got to be humble enough to, hey, you're right. What you're saying, yeah, that's right. I really thank you for that. I appreciate that. And that, that helps. Uh, that's a happy train. You know what I mean? That's a happy, harmonious environment. Even dads, our kids may say something. What did you say? Well, I'm just, it's having the grace. We're all going to make mistakes. We must take responsibility for that and humble ourselves. But still, according to Jesus, he said, forgive them for they do not know what they do. Sometimes people, we get in arguments with people and family members and so forth. We don't actually understand it all. It's better to be wrong. You see, you can have an argument and be right in your argument, but you're wrong in your heart. It's best to have the grace of God and shoot for unity. You know what I'm saying? It's good to actually have a unifying spirit and work to actually reach out and love, even though you lose things on the way. It's still better to do that, to keep the commonality and keep the, uh, the unity of the faith within the household of faith, within the household, your own household, within your marriage, working relationships. Take the high ground. James 3, 14, 18, it says, but if you have bitter envy, which means offended jealousy and self-seeking in your hearts, it says, do not boast and lie against the truth. In other words, hey, admit it. You know, here it is, admit it. Don't lie against the truth. But this is interesting. Verse 15. This is our, this is our verse here. The wisdom that does not descend from above. Now, did you know there's a wisdom that doesn't ascend from God? There has to be ideologies and philosophies all have intellectual wisdom, all have an academic uh, a wisdom of some source, but it's not sourced from the kingdom of God. It's sourced from humanism or secularism, or it's even sourced from the demonic when some of these ideologies really get out there. But it's really interesting, this wisdom, what is the wisdom? Bitter envy. So it's saying that bitter envy has a wisdom. In other words, I'm upset. There's a wisdom about that. There's a judgment about that. There's, there's a reason for it. There's a justification as why we're upset. The Bible says it's, there's a wisdom in it but it doesn't come from God. It comes from the soul. It comes from the rejection. It comes from the pride. It comes from, hey, we've been missed out here. The self-seeking, it says. There's a wisdom in self-seeking. And then it says the wisdom that, the wisdom does not descend from above, and then it categorizes it or put a process, but it is earthly, sensual, and demonic. It's three things here. So there's a wisdom from the world. That's got its roots in the earth, the natural realm. That doesn't speak of the Father. It's related to this realm. And then it's sensual or soulish, the natural man. And then it says it goes right into the demonic. It's a process. The Bible says what? The way of the wise winds upwards. It says we go from faith to faith, strength to strength. It says we're going towards the holy mountain. Come up in the spirit. But it doesn't bask around here in offense and justification. And yes, I can tell you the reason why that books have been written from offended people. Books have taken on governments and it hasn't been through godly wisdom or breakthrough wisdom or kingdom of wisdom. It's come because they've been bitter. Racism, the, the people don't like us because of our nationality and we justify it and we fight and contend back and whatever. But the Bible says, my friend, there's a justification that comes from natural wisdom. We need to commit. I like what one man said. I love this. I love this. I think it's great. He says, every day I go into my heart, the recesses of my heart, and I look to see if I have an offense. Is there something inside of me that's offended? It's time to let things go. I want to speak into families here. I'm not just I'm talking about any families, any 
ethnicity, but the things, the things that happen in our own backgrounds, our own families and that, and we hold a judgment against a sister or against an uncle, something that happened or something that didn't happen, and we kind of hold it. You might be surprised. You think, yeah, I, I, I understand it. I've forgiven them, but I'm not forgetting it. The Bible says in Corinthians we shouldn't keep a record of wrongs. Let them go. Let them go. Don't harbor that offense. Just let them go. And as you let them go, the grace, and this is what you want to catch, the fragrance and the sweetness comes upon you. I know there's a lady sitting here this morning, and you've had a background that uh, it's kind of got munted and twisted around on your journey in life, but you are carrying the sweetness of the Lord. You're carrying the, you've got no animosity. You've got no antagonism or and so forth, but there's a sweetness, there's a grace around you and sitting with you and talking to you, it just oozes out of your personality. That's the Spirit of God because you've made a decision in Jesus. What would it have been like to hang out with God? He's the most empowering individual figure that ever existed. He says, Satan comes and has nothing inside of me. The last one is control. Control. When we get rejected, reject, rejection uh, moves into an area of control. And that means we like to control outcomes. Anybody like to tr control outcomes? Yeah, thank you for your honesty. I like to control outcomes. I'd love to see great outcomes. But sometimes outcomes are out of our control. We've got to trust God in it. But we have this, uh, we try to control people, intimidate people or control them, but it's actually sourced back to reject. A little bit like anger. Anger can intimidate people. So you fly off the handle somewhat, but you're actually trying to create an atmosphere and push people back and you're in control of it. But what happens is this, is that with control, control does not bring the blessing of God. It is a fruit of witchcraft, Galatians 5. That's where it's in there, the fruit of witchcraft. Witchcraft is where we try to control other people. One of the manifestations or characteristics of witchcraft is where we're trying to control people through religious obligations. Oh, you can't make it tonight. Oh, that's okay. Uh, I'm sure we'll cope. What we're trying to do is put guilt on them to control them to come. Oh, you're not coming to lunch after the service. Everybody else will be there. <laughs> oh, 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 no, I just, and that's okay. Look, it's, it's okay. You, you guys do what you want to do. You've got a free life in this world. It's okay. But I just, you know, we kind of expected you guys would front up. I mean, I just, I mean, come. That's control. My mother did a good thing. She never visited us. You know how, you, oh, man, I don't want to get out there too many illustrations and that. But, um, but my mother did something really good. I appreciate it because um, my mother's a beautiful woman. She's no longer with us. And, and, uh, but anyway, so she, I said, hey, you come. I got married, you know, in the hut, Lower Hut, Wellington. And she goes, uh, um, about four days and hadn't visited us. I thought, that's strange. She would come back, you know, we were just about to go on, uh, come back from our honeymoon. They knew the dates. I didn't get rejected like they haven't visited us. Did something go wrong with the wedding? You know, you know what happened? No, 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 they're pretty good like that, my parents. But, you know, I rang my mum. Mum answered, and I said, hey, are you guys coming around to our place, our pad? Are you coming around or not? She said, yes, when we're invited. And I thought, well, that's good, rather than, you know, the, we open up the key, there's her hand. Go to sleep at night and there's mum. It's just like, okay, it's just like, please let us go, mum. You know, leaving and cleaving principle. The Bible does talk extensively about it. No, 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 but I appreciate that. Sometimes you've got to let people go. We have to, even sometimes we have to let our kids go. We could be praying out of control. Think about that. 
I want him in the kingdom. Why? Mm. For us or whatever? No, sometimes we just have to let things go. Now, I'm not saying about abdicating because that's a different message. That's not good. But I'm saying come not from parental point of view. Come from a godly point of view. Uh, there was, uh, there was a, a pastor one time, and they came up to him, and the lady said, uh, she said, I'm praying for my kids. And he said, but yes, but your tears are birthed from the soul. And he said, it's just about parental it's just about parental motivation. You need to get hold of the kingdom of God, that they've offended God, and God wants them in his kingdom. So they began to pray from that perspective, and the Holy Ghost moved. They got the three kids saved. If you enjoyed this message, feel free to subscribe and leave a review. We'd also love to hear from you. You can connect with us on Instagram or Facebook at Celebration Raro, or visit our website, celebration.atonga.com. Until next time... 